Well, hello, and welcome to the Fisher Poetry Podcast, a showcase of prose, poetry, and song written and performed by those in the commercial fishing community. Mostly. I'm your host, Brad. Thanks for joining us today. Today's episode is from the 2023 Fisher Poetry Gathering in Astoria, Oregon. You'll be hearing from Fisher poet Doug Rhodes of Craig, Alaska, with an introduction by MC Ken Kaiser. This set was recorded at the Liberty Theater on Saturday, February 25th, 2023. So, without further ado, here's the show. All right, as the lights dim, the fishermen appear. Now, I've been standing on deck all night with this man, and I have yet to discover who he actually is. Well, Doug Rhodes is a commercial gill netter and longliner. He has been fishing for over 50 years, starting out hand trolling in Sitka on a 13-foot Boston whaler at 14 years old. So let's tear it up for Doug Rhodes. All right, thanks guys. All right, I got one here that I wrote. Uh, it's about a, a friend of mine who we'd go out gillnet and he comes back in and, and he's kind of addicted to those, those uh, I guess they call reality shows that are all about our state. And uh, anyway, I wrote this poem about it. I have a friend that loves Deadliest Catch and some of those other Alaskan shows too. I told him, but you're a commercial fisherman. This is the stuff you already do. He could go out and check his own crab pot or work on his gill net and add a new panel or maybe just go out and anchor up instead of watching that Discovery Channel. (laughs) He's watching all these Alaskan shows and there's new ones added each year. Most of them give you the wrong impression about what it's like to live up here. All these shows are basically the same, people talking about the outdoor life they picked Then you realize you're living one of these shows without about 90% of the conflict. (laughs) I've ranted about all these shows before. I know it's nothing new, but damn it, we're commercial fishermen. This is the stuff we already do. All these shows can hook you in, and my willpower is not necessarily stronger. It's just that real-life outdoor experiences will, you'll hopefully remember them longer. So... Go troll up a winter king on an early morning tide and turn off that Nat Geo channel and get your ass outside. (laughs) All right, this this other one I wrote. uh, uh, Anybody in here longline halibut? Okay, if you have a, a boat that's over 40 feet, before you get to go out, you have to roll the dice and see if you're going to have to have an observer on your boat. Or, like me, I thought, I'm going to get away from all that and I'll let the government uh, put cameras on my boat. And so I have cameras on my boat, and, uh, and this one's called Government Porno. <laughs> Big Brother started watching me this year, and I'm not sure what they will learn but they installed a camera on my deck and another one out off my stern. The government is watching me and I'm starting to get enraged. 
the cameras automatically turn on, turn on whenever the hydraulics are engaged. So when do my cameras ever turn off? This is where my fascination with them sours because apparently after everything is turned off, they stay on for at least two more hours. It's all recorded on some fancy hard drive into a series of little video clips. Then someone down in Portland looks at and records everything I did on my halibut trips. Now I'd like to know what kind of information or what they've all recorded and what kind of information they seek because I know that at least twice I thought the cameras were off as they stripped down and took a leak. <laughs> all I know for sure is the cameras have a fisheye lens and they see things both near and far. But the people reviewing the tape should remember that objects may appear larger than they are. <laughs> so I, I sent a copy of that poem with the hard drive to uh, Portland. <laughs> Somewhere in Portland, I hope somebody got a chuckle. This other one is, a, is about a size, it's another one about size. This one uh, is uh, about a story I heard on uh, the radio while I was working on, uh, on my engine in my engine room. And this one's called the uh, 24-inch mechanic. I had to fix my engine this year and my engine room is really tiny. I was crawling around in my greasy bilge, but I don't want to sound that whiny. I, tried to re I had to reach up under my reduction gear, but no matter how hard I did strive, I needed to be a much smaller man than me standing six foot five. Frustrated, I took a break from working. Listening to the radio sounded like the thing to do. When I heard about the world's new smallest man, and according to Ripley's, he lives in Peru. Well, I got very excited listening, as this guy was only 24 inches tall. And I began to let my mind wander about what could be done with a guy that small. I could slide him down along my bilge. He could inspect my oil pan inch by inch. Wow, this guy would be in big demand if he knows how to turn a wrench. So the next time something breaks in a tight spot, don't you panic, because I want to become the manager of the 24-inch Peruvian mechanic. All right, this is, this is one that I wrote. Uh, I'm, I'm pulling out some old ones because we haven't been here live for a long time. But this is one I wrote gill netting about uh, watching this little spider out my window. And, uh, you know, I, I just couldn't kill him. I just had to watch this guy. Tenacious, in a storm. He's out there working on this net, or excuse me, this web. And uh, just tenacious, rattling with the wind and the storms. And, and anyway, this poem is called Kindred Spirits. I saw a spider spinning his web. Man, it looked like a pain in the ass. Right in front of my pilot house window, by the wiper motor up next to the glass. And I began to really think about this bug as he struggled to untangle a moth. And I realized that we've got a lot in common and we're both cut from the very same cloth. I started making some comparisons between the spider's webs and my gill nets and jotted down some of my observations while drifting in between sets. He anchors all the corners of his gear to make it all fish better. I don't know if he has a drift permit card or not, but technically he's a set netter. 
He works his web all summer like us until the fall weather shuts him down. His gear is working 24-7, and he never needs to run to town. He hangs his web in nothing flat and puts it anywhere he chooses. His meshes are always hung just right. I don't know what kind of knots he uses. He doesn't worry about closures. Coast Guard regulations cause him no fear. I think his web is monofilament, so Christ, he's fishing illegal gear. <laughs> he's the fastest picker you'll ever see when mosquitoes show up in swarms. I tell my deckhand, that's how you do it. He says, yeah, but the dude has eight arms. <laughs> he's always building a new net. Most people would call him loco. He spins web even better than Osada, Momoy, or Yoroko. Sometimes you see them with their webs set one right after another, but they always give themselves at least a net length. They never seem to cork each other. He works his gear rain or shine, and he does it all with elation. Every gill netter should watch a spider as a source of inspiration. So when I see a spider web on the boat, I just smile and let it be. I'd never mess with a fellow gill netter out of professional courtesy. All right, here's one, uh, here's one I wrote uh, about when I was a kid. All the, all the old timers would always help me out when I was a kid, and I, I you know, just showed some interest in fishing, and these guys were always so good. And, uh, and this is a poem about those guys. It's about old guys. I remember when I was just a kid and my eyes filled with surprise, as I walked the docks and looked at boats and listened to the stories of the old guys. They talked about the good times. They talked about the bad times too. But I just sat there listening because it was all so exciting and new. I learned about threading herring, splitting tails and twisting hooks, bending abanals at the diamond. You can't read this stuff in books. I heard about surviving tidal waves, how to keep spoons bright with hydrotone, Advice on how to make and use a code sheet way back before anyone had a cell phone. And now, after 50 years of fishing, as I tell you this, I can finally realize that you're listening to every word I say. Crap, I became one of those old guys. <laughs> All right, here's a... Uh, Here's one that has absolutely nothing to do. Well, it kind of has something to do with fishing, but anyway, it's about uh, it's about coffee, which has something to do with fishing, I guess. But then they got all the fancy stuff, and this one's called uh, a uh, it's called barista. And the reason I say this is that I, I'm using this one is I had a kid in Kaufman Cove, we're in the middle of nowhere. I had talked to this class and read this poem in this school class, high school class, and now we're out in a skiff. Uh, waiting for the tide uh, to come in so we can get through this little slot and into Kaufman Cove and it's storming and this kid and his dad are there and the kid comes over to me and he starts having a conversation about this poem and he, he's saying you know some people thought this poem was just about coffee but I thought you were really talking about the evils of technology and he goes into this deep thing and I'm thinking wow good yeah and I'm thinking damn it was about coffee but and <laughs> 
Anyway, it's called barista. When I was just a little kid before I became a man, all the coffee I ever saw was scooped out of a can. At my house, it was Folgers. In a round tin can, it was found. And when you opened it up, there were no beans. I guess they'd already been all ground. You brewed it in a percolator, and you had to wait till it was done. But watching it perk to that glass dome was a major source of fun. Now the times have really changed. There's craft beers and even local vino. And coffee is now called a mocha, latte, or cappuccino. And this strong stuff they call espresso, well, that one really gets my goat. Because it tastes like coffee that sat all day on the oil stove of my boat. <laughs> now, the beans come from all over. And they're roasted according to some plan. And then they're ground to some specifications. It's not the same stuff from that can. Then they pack the grounds into a device until it's compressed into a little coffee nodule. And then they fire up some big-ass Italian, Italian machine the size of the lunar landing module. They froth it up and belch some steam until there's a little cup of brown goo. And into a batch of foamy milk, they dump this residue. So I long for the old days of the percolator. But now I look at the bright side with no tears. I had a skill I just never knew. Hell, I've been a barista for 50 years. All right, I'm going to end it with this, uh, this one uh, poem. And now, this poem, uh, you know, I want you to just realize I'm going to take this poem. I just wa I want to make you smile. Sometimes I'll hear a joke and I'll try to make it into a poem. This is one of those. I'm going to take something right up to the edge, but I'm not going over it, so don't worry. Don't freak out on me here, okay? It's called Marooned on a South Pacific Island. A fisherman washed up on the shore of a deserted South Pacific island. His boat had sunk, but he hadn't drowned, and for that, this guy was smiling. But he longed for a little company, and for that, he shed some tears. He had no one else to talk with, and he'd been there two long years. Every day, he'd walk down to the beach and watch the waves roll in, soaking up the sun all alone as they rolled back out again. But one day, as he looked out at the ocean, he couldn't believe his eyes. A beautiful babe in a wetsuit washed up, much to his surprise. Her beautiful hair was flowing. This hot chick was really cute. And she licked her lips enticingly as she slowly unzipped her suit. She said, would you like a cigarette? Holy crap, you got some of those? I used to smoke two packs a day. And a little further down her zipper goes, she reaches in one side of her wetsuit, pulls out a cigarette and a light. The guy takes a drag on the cigarette and squeals in glorious delight. Then she unzips the suit a little further below the tan line on the top of her bikini and says, now would you like a drink? I could make you a martini. The guy says, holy crap, that's my favorite drink. It's been two years since I had a taste. She says, well, today's your lucky day and unzips the suit down to her waist. She reaches in her wetsuit and pulls out a shaker, ice, and booze and makes the fisherman the best martini ever. This guy just couldn't lose. So the guy has a cigarette in his left hand and a martini in, her, in his right. And she unzips her wetsuit all the way down and says, now, what should we do tonight? She says, I was thinking maybe we could play around if that's what you'd like to do. 
The guy says, holy crap, you got a set of golf clubs in there too? All right, thank you. That was Fisher poet Doug Rhodes, recorded at the Liberty Theater in Astoria, Oregon, on Saturday, February 25th, 2023. Well, that's it. This one's in the tote. The Fisher Poetry Podcast is written and produced by Brad Wartman. The theme music for this episode is courtesy of Mark Allen Lovewell and Molly Canole. If you'd like to appear on or have comments about the show, please send an email to thefisherpoetryarchive at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to haul the latest episodes into your net. The Fisher Poetry Podcast is available via our podcast host, Spotify, as well as Apple, Google, and Amazon. You can listen to our other podcast episodes, watch our YouTube videos, and join our community by going to thefisherpoetryarchive.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Come all young sailormen, listen to me. I'll sing you a song of the fish in the sea. Blow you winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound to the southern, so steady she goes. 